So this one, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about Christ and the Aquarian Age. But also, I want to go back and talk about uh, my personal awakening experience, how that happened, and how really, uh, just recently, things are really starting to come together for me more and more in terms of understanding what happened and the course that I'm on. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's staying healthy out there and enjoying life as much as possible. So we're going to talk about, uh, I'm just kind of, kind of give an introduction to today, what we're going to talk about. Uh, I didn't really have my thoughts crystallized until, uh, about a half hour ago. But I want to talk, I want to share again about my awakening, what happened, um, and how that flows into the shift that's going on, the changes that are going on in our world, and pick up on some things that Doug Wentz and I talked about, some of the things that Vanessa R. Brooks and I talked about. I want to talk about hermetic principle, a hermetic principle. I want to talk a little bit about astrology uh, and what all of that means to us and, of course, uh, bringing it together with what the Bible has to say as well. So it should be a good time. I'm excited about it. All right, so I want to go back. To, I'm going to take you back to August 13th, 2016 for me. So to give you a context for um, my life, those of you that don't know, um, <clears throat> I got um, what you would call radically saved in the evangelical movement when I was... Uh, I had just turned 18. Uh, 1989 was the year, and I had just turned 18 years old. And from that moment on, I hit the ground running. I read everything, consumed everything I could find, listened to everything I could find, um, witnessed to everything and everybody that would stand still long enough for me to tell them about Jesus, got involved in a local church, and uh, got involved with a college and career uh, group with my sister, Lori, my sister Jackie, and <clears throat> some of the others that are still uh, part of what we're doing. Al Coletti, Justin, Shuey, um, to name the ones I can remember off the top of my head. And uh, <clears throat> we experienced some dynamic stuff. Got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, was involved in two different church plants where I served as an associate pastor. And then in 2000, uh, 2000 I went into full-time ministry as a senior pastor and we planted our own church, which became New Day Church here in Pueblo. We started from scratch. Uh, during that time, I had the opportunity to be part of some uh, international networks, traveled quite a bit, did uh, leadership conferences, uh, Bible conferences, <clears throat> mission work, mostly in Eastern Europe, some in Western Europe, and in Africa. Um, we did a lot of stuff. We built churches uh, overseas. We gave a lot to missions um, and we ended up uh, in 2016 winning a local award for best place of worship in our community. And I also uh, placed second in a local award as being the best mover and shaker, non-political in the city. And uh, so literally ministered to, you know, had times when I ministered to two or three in a home group or um, literally thousands uh, at other uh, times and opportunities. Um, we got really involved with uh, the charismatic movement. There was lots of signs and wonders, that kind of stuff. And I was very convinced um, in the Christian faith and in everything that I believed. So then, uh, so things are going good. 2016, uh, best uh, place of worship. Uh, we had lots of relationships with different ministers. Um, I'd been to Russia uh few years before that, I'd been back to Africa. Um, I, I want to say that same year, I went into Africa and had a tremendous time, very, very powerful time. 
And so I, I go into meditation on August 13th, 2016, and I have this, this visitation. And in this visitation, I want you to watch how this plays out because it's going to connect. Now, I didn't know any of the stuff that I'm sharing today much when this happened, but I want you to be able to see the connections. So I'm following this child in this vision. I'm following this child who's laughing, and there's other children off in the distance who are playing. And the child is saying, follow me, follow me. And I'm following the child, and then for some reason there, there was a path off to my right, and I, in the vision, I diverted off on the path, and I come to a clearing, and in this clearing there are two trees. Now, for the longest time, I thought those were representative of the two trees that were in the Garden of Eden, because I had done so much teaching on that. So symbolically at that time, that's what those two trees meant, uh, meant to me. And the one tree had a bright shining light with an angel of light standing by it, and the other tree was in the shadows. So it wasn't dark, but it was in the shadows and had a shadowy figure standing there. And I heard this voice speak to me a couple of different things. And the first thing that I remember, I'm I'm not sure it happened in this order. I have it written down in my journal, but I didn't look at it. But this is how I remember it. Uh, The first voice that I heard was a voice that said, when you do not, when you, I'm sorry, when you disown your shadow self, when you disown your shadow self, you will mistake the voice of your shadow for the voice of God. And then when I looked at the bright tree, the, 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 the tree that was full of light, all of a sudden I, uh, the, the scene changed and it was like a giant uh, movie screen that had a bunch of television stations with all of these talking heads. Uh, and all of these talking heads were preachers and teachers. And they were all sort of talking over each other. It was just, it was very garbled. And all of a sudden, I was going through sort of a um, photo album, if you will, of my life, of all the services that I had attended, all the workshops, all the books that I had read. And all of it was on these principles, how to be a better Christian, how to have a better prayer life, how to be a better leader, went to tons of leadership conferences, how to grow a church, how to counsel how to, did I mention be a better husband and father yet? Uh, all these things about better, 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 taking principles out here from the Bible, from the scriptures, and trying to apply them, trying to internalize them, and literally create a self out of the Bible. I want to say that again. Uh, learning all these principles and hearing all these things uh, that is foreign or outside, foreign to me, and what I mean by that is simply outside of me, and trying to take those things and create a self. So, for example, we all know that, uh, let's just take marriage. Husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Uh, so you look at that and you look at what Jesus did and you try to conform to that in your setting. The husband and father is supposed to be the head of the household. So you hear things about what that means. Whether that goes with your temperament, your natural self or not, you take that and try to create that self. Um, being a better leader means uh, being more relational. That was one of the things that, because uh, I'm naturally an introvert, I'm actually very naturally shy. Um, don't like crowds of people, don't like a lot of attention, um, would really prefer to be in the background. But because of my gifting and whatever, I, I kept getting thrust into the forefront, and I was always uncomfortable there. And so one of the things for a long time was, well, you need to learn how to be more relational. So I go buy books on people skills and relationships and learn all those things. And even though it didn't go with my temperament, I would try to put that on and become that. So you see what I'm saying. So it's like, like you're having the, these, these principles 
and you think, okay, in order to do this, this good thing, and in order to do this good thing, and in order to be this for this person or be this for in this setting, then what I do is I try to eat that, I try to internalize that, and again, create a self from out here. So it's not much different than um, building a building, right? You have the blueprint for the building, and then you go and you structure the house. Let's say you're having a house built. The first thing you do is you get a blueprint for the house, and so then you construct the house according to the blueprint. And that's what I was trying to do with myself. All the while, though, you have these sort of shadow parts of yourself, these parts of yourself that you don't want to recognize or own. Uh, and that can, that can consist of anything that does not fit the blueprint or does not fit the pattern. So whatever didn't fit the pattern of being a good leader or whatever didn't fit the pattern of being a good Christian or a good person, uh, would get suppressed or not looked at and become part of the shadow self, the energy of that. It doesn't go away. It just sort of gets ignored or suppressed. Trauma is also something. When, when you're dealing with trauma or anxiety or painful, emotionally, psychologically painful situations, and you don't address those and work through those, you, you can almost put on a sort of spiritual avoidance where you become this spiritual person, but you don't really press through and work through the situations in your life. So that also becomes part of the shadow. So you have these parts that are down there. So the first part of this was, you know, that through this sort of Christian experience is trying to learn all these principles and create this person. And in the process of doing that, you disown all these other parts. And because you disown them, you don't recognize them as yourself, but they're still speaking to you. And so the, the, the point of the shadowy tree was that when you don't recognize those parts, you will feel leadings, you will hear voices, not like in a sense of psychosis, but uh, we talk about the inward voice and the charismatic movement, the, the inward witness, hearing the voice of God being led by the spirit. And so what happens is you think you're being led by the spirit, but you're really being led by your shadow self. And so while I'm having this experience, I'm realizing I'm going back then over periods of my life because that was the next part of the experience is I'm taken back through my past and all these various different key points in my life where I made decisions thinking that I was hearing from God, but not realizing that I was either hearing from my own confirmation bias or I was hearing something that would allow me to continue to ignore my shadow or avoid my pain. Uh, I'm going to make this decision not because it's really what God is saying to me, but because it's a more comfortable decision or it, it, it confirms the, the, what the group consensus and stuff is out there. And then the other part of the experience was the, 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 these guides that were taking me through this experience asked me, can you learn to love yourself? And when I came out of that experience, when I came out of that vision, uh, the, the one reason I can say for certain that it was a valid experience for me was because everything that I had in that experience was then completely validated in my life. So um, most of you probably never heard of the Jahari window, but it's a, it's a, it's a model of, uh, it's a relational model that has to do with how we relate to ourselves and then how we relate to others. And it has four quadrants. One of the quadrants is called the blind spot. And the blind spot is identified as what is going on in your life, the patterns that you're generating in your life, that you cannot see, but everybody else around you can see. So if you think about it, when you're driving down the highway and you're getting ready to change lanes, you have to look over and check your blind spot, right? 
the person behind you, all the cars behind you can see that there's a car in your blind spot, but if you don't check your blind spot, you can't see it, and so you wreck. And so we have these patterns that work out in our life relationally that are blind spots. And so when I came out of this experience that I had, this vision that I had, I could not deny the reality of it based on my past and where I was in my present, but all of a sudden it was like every dysfunctional pattern that I had seen in myself and in the churches that I had worked with, uh, in ministry, in my marriage, in every aspect of my life was staring me in my face. It was like I could no longer not see it. And so that's why I called it an awakening because I couldn't, I couldn't go back to sleep. I couldn't go back to sleep if I wanted to. So, uh, thus sort of began this journey. And the way I described it, the metaphor I used was it was like, uh, leaning a ladder against a building, climbing the ladder, getting to the top of the building, doing all this work for, you know, uh, over 20 years of my life and then not being able to, um, the ladder was leaning against the wrong building. So does, does that make sense to you guys? So that was quite a shock to me. That was quite a crisis. And so I referred to that as my awakening. So the other thing that I did, and I had been doing this for a while, I got involved uh, more with Bible scholarship. And uh, I had been studying Bible scholarship on a number of issues prior to that. But there were certain things about biblical scholarship that I avoided because the foundation of everything that I believed depended upon the Bible as my authority as the rule of my, uh, as a source of my faith and the rule of my conduct. So the fact that the Bible was the dictated word of God. And that's where all this stuff of constructing this false self came from, because the Bible says I'm supposed to be this way, I'm not supposed to be this way, and I try to conform myself or construct myself to what the Bible says. Um, and I knew that there were clearly problems with the Bible. Uh, so I dug into biblical scholarship, looking at the Bible, looking at the contradictions, which there are uh, very apparent contradictions in the Bible that really cannot be reconciled. Uh, and I knew that um, before, but I just ignored it because it was a challenge to my faith. And then I looked at how the Bible was given to us and how it was meant to be used. And that would be a worthwhile live video or something sometime to discuss, but that's not my subject for today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Benny, I just saw your post. Yeah, no, no more trouble with the neighbor. Uh, and it was a different dog. We have three dogs. Um, so, so I started looking at it more. And the more I studied, the more my faith began to be challenged. And so I tell people, I didn't throw out the Bible and get to where I'm at. I actually got to where I'm at because I did a much more in-depth study of the Bible. And I'm talking real biblical scholarship here. Um, but anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. So I, I began to wrestle within myself with my faith and all these different things. I began to go through an incredible burnout because I'm seeing all these patterns uh, and all this stuff. And so we decided to take a, a sabbatical for three months and get out of town. And I knew that I needed to get into some therapy because there was a lot of pain involved in going through this process. So make a long story short, I'm working with my therapist and I'm doing a, uh, a modality of therapy called EMDR. And it's rapid eye movement. Um, anyway, I don't want to go into all that, but it's it's a it's a intervention that helps with trauma. But one of the things that happens is when you're doing the the process, it can bring up out of your again out of your shadow self or out of your blind spot, whatever you want to understand it as. 
it can bring up trauma that you didn't know was there. And so while I'm working through this process with my therapist, all of a sudden my image of God was presented to me from my subconscious. And it was it had to do with the whole issue of God's judgment and God's wrath. And without going into all the details of that, because I don't want to get bogged down in it, I was able to resolve that. And when I resolved that, I had immediate peace and transformation. And things that I had wrestled with and tried to work through using other methods of therapy and whatever or inner healing. I mean, I did every inner healing thing under the sun in Christianity. Um, never brought about such profound peace and compassion and love and joy as this did. And so I, it took me a long time. I mean, I, I sat there for a long time thinking, really, my problem, the problem that has been making my soul sick, that has been making me psychologically and mentally unhealthy, was my view of God and my religion, which came from the charismatic evangelical movement. That was a hard pill to swallow. Uh, but the change and the transformation and the seeing, the awakening, was completely undeniable. And so at that point, uh, I, we, we had kind of made a decision, because I got saved so young and because I had devoted myself so much to the Christian spiritual path, that I was going to go ahead and open my mind and heart to other spiritual paths and directions. And all I can say is that during that three-month time period, there were so many synchronicities. There were so many supernatural occurrences. And by supernatural, I mean things that happened in the, in the natural world. I'm not just talking about visitations. I'm talking about synchronicities, confirmations, various different things that we experienced that opened my eyes to the fact that um, I had not had as much truth previously as I thought I did. And so it's been kind of an unpacking for the last four years of this sort of awakening. But here's the point. What I had to begin to do out of that experience, above all else, was to begin to do what's called shadow work, to begin to look at the negative, as the negative aspects of myself, the aspects of myself that did not fit that cut-out cardboard caricature of me that was trying to conform to the Bible and the Christian ideals. And rejecting those things, having to go back into those things, those parts of myself, love those parts of myself, give expression to some of those parts of myself, heal those parts of myself, and find integration. So back to the, the two trees. The two trees was not, the shadowy tree was not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the light tree was not the tree of life. They were a representation of the duality of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The good light being on one side, one polarity, the dark being on the other side, the other polarity. <clears throat> and the point to that season of my life was to be able to accept both and synthesize them and blend them together into a third thing. So having said all that, now I want to get into some things. Now, I didn't have any external confirmations of any of this. This was just sort of being led by the Spirit. But as I've studied this out, I really think that it all sort of makes sense. And so I'm going to give you a couple of things. But I want to start with what's uh, 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 writings known as the Emerald Tablets uh, or the Hermetic Principles. Now, these go back centuries. And I don't want to get into all the origins of it. If you want to know more about it, you can check out Vanessa R. Brooks' page. Um, she's done some great stuff on it. You can always uh, Google or Wikipedia as, as well. Um, but 
the hermetic principles, I'm going to give you two of them. The first hermetic principle is that everything came from one source. And everything is an expression of the one source. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm deliberately avoiding the term God, not because I'm trying to be new agey, but because God, for me, and I know for a lot of you, probably has a lot of baggage. And I'm not talking about God like we think about Yahweh. Um, I'm talking about the creator, all right? So the idea is that everything is an expression or an extension of the one, and it all has an orderly pattern to it. That's really, really important. That's the first part of it. The second principle is this. Many of you have heard this. It says, as above, so below. As above, so beneath. As above, so below. As within, so without. So you have this idea of correspondences, that as it is in the heavens and as it is in the higher realms, meaning the invisible heavens, uh, that there is an orderly arrangement that then is reflected or mirrored in the stars. It's reflected and mirrored in everything in nature and in the earth. And it's reflected and mirrored in our bodies and in our consciousness. Now, the Apostle Paul validates this in Romans chapter 1, where he says that God can be understood by looking at the things that can be seen. He talks about this, you can look it up in Romans 1, that there is a correspondence between natural laws and spiritual laws, between what we see in nature and what we see in the spirit. So the idea, the cosmology of the hermetic principle, as above, so below, as within, so without, is this idea that there is an orderly pattern and an orderly arrangement that is reflected, almost holographic, if you will, in every aspect of uh, nature, in every aspect of the cosmos, and in every aspect of you. And so they, they, there develops this idea of correspondences. So just get that in your mind, this idea of correspondences, that there are corresponding realities in the spiritual realm and the natural realm, corresponding realities in the heavens and in you, corresponding realities in the heavens and in the minerals and stuff that are under the earth. I'm just going to give that a second to set in because now I want to shift a little bit and talk about the age that we're coming into and some astrology and astrological principles. Now, uh, just to give you a little bit of background on where the, the, the Christian, Jewish Christian God, the development of that, uh, Yahweh, El, were, um, gods that existed prior to Abraham. They go back before the Abrahamic faith as part of the pantheons of the gods. That's clearly archaeologically and historically established. Uh, the Jewish people <clears throat> were originally Canaanites who adopted Yahweh as their one God. But he's very much clearly a nationalistic God and a tribal God in the Old Testament. And there really is not this dualistic, this concept of duality of God and Satan. God is everything. You can see this very clearly um, in Kings, the book of Kings, when it talks about David and the census. It says that God moved David to take a census. This is one of those contradictions in the Bible. God moved David to take the census. And then God punishes David for taking census. That's because those books were written before Babylonian captivity. We know that for sure. Scholarship, archaeology, history, everything validates that. It was written before Babylonian captivity. They go into Babylon, which the primary religion of Babylon was Zoroastrianism. And Zoroastrianism had this duality of light and dark, of a good God and an evil God. They talked about angels and demons and the afterlife and heaven and all that stuff. So after incubating in Babylon 
for 70 years, they come out of Babylon. Now a new account is written in the Chronicles, and it says that Satan tempted David to take the census. So we know the idea of Satan and this idea of duality. So Judaism transformed from being the tribal religion of Israel, being incubated in the Persian culture with duality, and it comes out this dualistic sort of faith. The reason it's important is because Babylon was very astrological. The magi who came to find Jesus were searching for his star. So there was a lot of astrological principles that were embedded in the scriptures that we miss. So um, the, the, the first thing I want to talk about with that then is what was ancient astrology or what was astrology? People misunderstand astrology because they think it's about the constellations. They think it's about, you know, Aries and Pisces and Virgo and, and, you know, people ask you, what's your, what's your sign? What's your sign? Well, the truth is you have, um, seven signs, but we're only familiar with the sun sign. And so when people say, what is your sign? They're asking about your sun sign. And my sun sign is a Virgo because I was born, um, in between August 21st, 22nd, September 22nd, 23rd. <clears throat> and that's, uh, so what that means is, is that the sun is rising in Virgo, and when I was born. The energies that they talk about in astrology do not come from the constellations. They come from what the ancients recognized as the seven planets or the seven bodies of light that moved in the sky. Is everybody following me? So you've got the sun, you've got the moon, then you have Mars, Jupiter, Venus, Mercury, and... I'm forgetting one. You have to forgive me, uh, but I'm not going to stress over it. So you had the, the you had five planets and the sun and the moon that were moving in the sky, and they would map their movements based on where they st- uh, were at in relationship to the constellations or the the zodiac, the twelve major signs of the zodiac. So, for example, if if uh, do you get it? So the energy is coming from the planets, and they believed each planet represented a certain energy. So, for example, Saturn represents constriction, and they were in polarities. They were in polarities. So, for example, Saturn represents restriction, that which restricts and constricts. Jupiter represents that which expands. Mars represents war and conflict and strife. Uh, Venus represents love and reconciliation. And so the energies are coming from the planets, and the location of the planets is the background of the zodiac. Is this making sense to you? It's also why you have seven chakras, or, or they believe, you know, in the East that you have seven chakras, because as above, so below, as within, so without. So what they began to believe was that these energies, the energy of Saturn, of constriction, was in your consciousness, the energy of Jupiter expansion was in your consciousness. The the energy of uh, the moon having to do with uh, emotions was in your consciousness, and that these things will be reflected as above, so below, as within, so without. So that there were correspondences to what was happening in human consciousness and what was happening in the stars. Is everybody tracking with me so far? Uh, I don't want to get too complex with it. Now, what does that have to do with ages? These are yearly cycles, right? When the sun goes around uh, 
the the I'm sorry when the sun goes around the earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? When the earth is going around the sun, it's passing through those constellations, so it appears to us as though the sun itself is passing through those constellations, and that's how you get your sign, but it's only your sun sign. You also have uh, if you do a full natal chart, they're going to look at where was Mercury when you were born, where was the moon when you were born, and it's going to paint a picture of your consciousness as it's reflected in the stars. So there's another aspect to this called the procession of the equinox that the ancients understood that defines the ages, the ages in which we live. Now, what is the procession of the equinox? The procession of the equinox is if you were to stand uh, and watch the sunrise on the spring equinox, depending on the estimates, from anywhere from 1,800 to 2,500 years, depending on which text you go by, the sun will rise in the same constellation, in, uh, in relation, in placement to the same constellation for that length of time, for approximately 2,000 years. We'll just round it up or down to 2,000 years. So for approximately 2,000 years, the sun rises in one particular sign, and that would define for the ancients an age. And that age would take on the characteristics of that constellation in the consciousness of humanity. Now watch how the Bible does this. So approximately 2,000 years before Jesus, you have the story of Abraham. Now, when Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, he goes up onto a mountain. And there's a lot in there, that story that we could talk about. But when he goes to sacrifice Isaac, it says that God gave a ram caught in a thicket uh, and that the ram would be sacrificed instead of Isaac. That's an astrological symbol that the age of Aries, the ram, was beginning. So this becomes the theme throughout the Old Testament from Abraham to the time of Jesus. So that almost every important figure in the Bible, uh, Abraham was a sheep herder, uh, Moses was a sheep herder, David was a sheep herder, so your symbology in the Old Testament focuses on the lamb, focuses on the ram, Aries. That's why a shofar is a ram's horn. That's why it was a ram caught in a thicket and not a bull or a deer. And it's also, maybe most importantly for us for this discussion, why in the Passover they sacrificed a lamb and put the blood over the doorposts because it was the age of Aries. So you see this emphasis on the lamb. Now when you get to Jesus, the procession of the equinox is shifting. It's the end of an age. That's how Daniel, who was one of the chief astrologers, could predict the time that the Messiah was going to come. It's also why the Magi came. Magi, who were astrologers, came looking for Jesus in Bethlehem in Matthew's gospel because they understood that it was a new age, that an age was ending and a new age was coming. Now, 
so when, when it's talking about the end of the age, the end of the world, it gets translated in the King James, but it's aeon, the end of the aeon. And so it's the end of an age. That's what that word means in the Greek. Now, I want to read a passage from Luke 22, verse 7. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. I want you to notice this. He didn't say the Passover lamb must be killed. This is so important. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may consume it, that we may eat it. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat or consume the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he has said them and they prepared the Passover. Now I want you to notice it didn't say the Passover lamb being killed. It said the Passover itself would be killed. The Passover itself would be killed. And then he talks about going into the city and finding and following a man with a water pitcher in his hand. Now here's one of the problems. We know from historians in ancient Greco-Roman culture that you would not find a man carrying a water pitcher uh, because carrying water was woman's work. That's why Jesus meets the woman at the well. Uh, so that was strictly a woman's role. So he's probably not speaking literally here about killing the Passover, and he's probably not speaking literally here about a man with a water pitcher in his hand. He's probably speaking more astrologically to his disciples, and his disciples and the readers of Luke's gospel would have understood this because this was more part of their worldview than what we experience in, in today's world. So here's a really cool thing. Jesus arrives at the shifting of the procession of the equinox between the age of Aries. The next age is the age of Pisces, which is a fish or two fish. And then the next age is the age of Aquarius. And Aquarius was known in the ancient world as the man with the water pitcher in his hand. So check this out. So Jesus is telling them, we're going to kill the Passover And you need to follow the man with the water pitcher in his hand because we're just guests here. I'm going to let that sink in. And he says, talk to the master of the house. There's so much astrological language in here because the houses in the ancient world, the the constellations were also called the houses of the moon. (laughs) The houses of the moon, they were mansions. In my father's house are many mansions. Uh, it was a reference to the houses of the moon and the constellations. And so the master of the house relates to a ruling planet because each constellation has a planet that rules that house or is the master of the house. Right? So what Jesus is saying is he's saying that this age of Pisces is a transition where the Passover age, the age of Aries, is killed and the new, the age of Pisces is a guest or a transition or a preparation or a making ready 
for the man with the water pitcher in his hand to come into his house. It's all pointing towards the age of Aquarius. Now, when you read your Bible and it talks about the end of the age, it's not talking about the end of the world. It's talking about a massive transition that is happening in humanity and in the earth and in human consciousness because of the procession of the equinox, because as above, so below, as within, so without. So if things are changing up there, things are also changing in here. Is this making sense to you? So this is why Jesus does not call shepherds. He calls fishermen. It's why there's no more sacrifice or burnt offering that gets you access to God, but you are baptized in water. It's why, because, because Pisces is a water sign. Pisces is a water sign. Uh, Passover. Uh, I'm sorry, Aries is a fire sign. So you have burnt offerings and you have things like that. Now we're shifting from the fire sign. We're shifting to the water sign. So, so you're baptized with water. Jesus calls fishers of men. The symbol for Christianity for 2,000 years has been the fish, right? Uh, the early church fathers called Jesus, we're, we're the small fish. Jesus is the great fish. It's also why this corresponding of as above, so below, when Jesus says, out of your innermost being will flow what? rivers of living water. Um, you'll have a well of water inside of you. So there's all this water imagery that all of a sudden now begins to come in to the New Testament. There's all this fish imagery that begins to come into the New Testament. Jesus feeds the multitudes with what? Two fish. So if you look at Pisces, here's the really interesting thing. If you look at Pisces, Pisces isn't one fish, the constellation. It is two fishes swimming in opposite directions, but tethered together in a shape of a V by a chain or by a cord. But they're fighting and conflicting with each other. They're the polarities that are going opposite to each other but cannot get away from each other. So Jesus takes two fish to feed the multitudes. There's so much symbology and so much begins to make sense. Is this, is this tracking with you? Now I want to give you a little bit about uh, Aquarius. So let me see if I can find this uh, stuff in my... So the, the age of Aquarius has a lot to do with, hold on one second, need to get into my notes here. Um, the age of Aquarius has, has a lot to do with, he, he's, he's the man with the water pitcher in his hand and he's watering the heavens. So even though it appears to be a water sign, it's actually an air sign because he's in the heavens. <clears throat> and it has to do with breaking with traditions. It has to do with uh, uh, innovation. And the master of the house, the ruler of the house, is Uranus. Now, let me see if I can get my notes up. Now, Uranus is called, watch this, Uranus is known, the master of the house in Aquarius, Uranus, the planet, the ruler, is known as the Awakener. It's known as the Awakener, that's its name, to awaken you. And Uranus, in the ancient world, was the god of the sky and the ruler of Aquarius. <laughs> now, it's associated with enlightenment, progressiveness, objectivity, novelty, and ingenuity. But it also has its negative expressions or its shadow side in rebelliousness, re rebelliousness without a cause. Rebelliousness without a cause. 
Oh, isn't that great? I mean, can you not see that happening right now? That there is an awakening that's happening, that people are waking up, but they're breaking with traditions. They're breaking with authority. They're breaking with uh, consensus. But now watch this. This age is but a child. So you're also seeing the flip side of that. You're seeing sort of a uncritically thought out breaking with consensus. You're seeing a rejection of expertise. You're seeing a rejection of tradition going on on a massive global scale. You're, you are seeing sort of a, a rebellious tendency. You're seeing the shadow side, but you're also seeing the, the, the light side of the awakener, uh, of this massive outpouring, if you will, of water, which water can also represent consciousness, that's being poured out on everybody that is breaking down the old structures of the age of Pisces. It's breaking down the structures politically. It's breaking down the structures in religion. It's breaking down uh, all that stuff. And so going back to my vision that I shared at the beginning, I'm following a child. I'm following a new age, right? Into... Uranus into the awakening of the energy of Uranus, who is the master of the house. So again, to look at this passage, he says, uh, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said, where do you want us to prepare? And he said, behold, when you enter a city, a man will meet you carrying a water pitcher. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you will say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? So the age of Pisces was a guest preparing all things for this awakening in this age that you and I are now in. Uh, (laughs) Can you see it? So Jesus is the Lamb of God. So when Jesus dies on the cross... He dies as the Lamb of God. He dies as the Passover. He dies as the age of Aries is dying, announcing the death of the age of Aries. Yet we still want to blow shofars in in, in the church. We're still... I can't can't go there. Um, He's dying as the last Lamb, but then watch this. What's the sign that's to be given to the... the evil and adulterous generation? What did Jesus say? No sign shall be given to you, but what? The sign of Jonah... What was Jonah? What happened to Jonah? Jonah was swallowed by a fish. So as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the fish. And just as the fish vomited uh, Jonah back up, so the fish, the grave, would carry Jesus or carry us out of the age of Pisces, dying as the Lamb of God, but being raised as the fish. So, so there was a shift of the ages. But guys, now we're at the time where there's a shift of the ages again. And we're coming into the age of the awakening. We're coming into the age of Aquarius. And so we are seeing, uh, the, the other thing about the energies of Aquarius and the energies of Uranus is that it is a shock. It's, it's a sudden shock, a sudden enlightenment, a sudden revelation or an awakening. That's what Uranus is known as, the master of the house of Aquarius, the awakener. And so what we are experiencing is this correspondence between that which is without and that which is within. And we are waking up and we are challenging the old structures. They don't work for us anymore. They don't fit anymore. They don't make sense anymore. And this is the point I really want to get to. We're moving away from this age of polarity where everything is swimming in different directions. 
where you have this duality of black and white. For so many people, their thinking is just black and white. It's just good and evil. We're the good guys out there. Those are the evil guys out there. And we see it playing out in religion. We have the way, the truth, and the life. We're the only ones that are being saved. We're the only ones that are going to heaven and to hell with everybody else. We're on the side of light. We're on the side of good. And then we divide even more among our denominations. Our denomination has the truth. Your denomination doesn't have the truth. Why? Because it's the age of Pisces. It's the structures of the age of Pisces where you have fish that are tied together in the sky, but they're swimming in opposite directions. They're facing opposite directions, but they can't get away from each other. We see it in politics. If you're on the conservative side, then the liberals are the evil ones, and you're the good one, and the liberals are the ones to blame. They're the scapegoats. We see it racially. Uh, we see it playing out racially where there's just this division. There's, and it's, and it's not clearly thought out. It's not critically thought out. It's not thought out with any kind of higher level thinking or dialogue or compassion. There's no heart in it at all. It's just we're going to vilify the ones that we don't agree with. We're going to make, we're going to point them out as the villains. Why? Because we're wrestling with our own polarities. Whether we want to admit it or not, there are things in us that we still haven't dealt with. There are urges in us to be mean-spirited. There are urges in us to be angry and all this stuff that we've judged is bad. We have to deal with greed and envy and lust and that's in all of us, guys. We have that capacity in all of us, but we choose to ignore it. So we feel pulled apart on the inside and we end up living this sort of false pseudo life where we try to create a self or cut a self. We, we don't let the self emerge from within and embrace and love all the aspects of ourself and let our authentic self and our true destiny scroll and soul code come out. No, we lose our soul to religion because they tell us how we're supposed to be. They tell us who we're supposed to become. They tell us who we're supposed to live. And, and we live in this polarity. And so we have Jesus and God being completely light and good and holy, but we, but we have to deal with this other polarity, so we have a devil out there that's holy and entirely evil. And this is the structure of the age of Pisces, where we're judging everything as good and bad and us and them and light and darkness and all that sort of stuff. But what Aquarius is going to do, what the age of Aquarius is doing and what it's going to do is it's going to bring us to a third option. It's not going to be one or the other. It's going, it's not going to be two. It's going to be a third. It's going to be a synthesis. So you can think about it this way. The feminine energy and the masculine energy marrying and coming together to create a third energy that is no longer dualistic and no longer polarity, but is the synthesizing, the bringing together of the two to create a third that releases an energy for a day that we have not seen yet, for a future that we have not seen yet. And that is where we need to be speaking if we are truly an awakened people or we truly, the prophets of this day, the prophets of this age, the people of God who are wise and have understanding of the times and know what we should do, have to understand that we cannot go back. And I'm sorry to bring this news to you. It's, I guess it's very much like the heralds of the new age and the new covenant back 2,000 years ago. But the temple is going to be destroyed. And by that I mean what you guys hold sacred from the age of Pisces, the divisiveness and the duality upon which our political system has thrived, the divisiveness and, and duality of racism, the divisiveness of us against them in religion, 
and even within ourselves, those structures are breaking down and they will be destroyed. There will not be one stone left upon another because we cannot bring the old into the new. So, so watch this. So what was the age that preceded the age of the Lamb, the age of Aries? Any ideas? It was the age of Taurus, which is the age of the bull. Now Moses, as one of the heralds of the age of uh, Aries, going back to the Lamb in the Old Testament, has him sacrifice a lamb to get out of Egypt. Now when Moses goes up on the mountain to get the law and has been gone for 40 days, they go to Aaron and they say, make us a god. What god does he make? He takes the jewelry, the earrings, watch this, the earrings, what they're hearing, what they're listening to, watch this, and what they're decorating themselves with, and he throws the gold into a fire, and out comes a bull. Out comes Taurus. And they exalt Taurus, and they begin to worship it and say, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. So in other words, they didn't have an ear for the herald of the new age. They only wanted to listen to what was coming from the former age. So they made idols out of the structures of the age of Taurus and were worshiping it. So part of Moses' issue was not just they were having an orgy and a party and breaking the Ten Commandments, but part of his issue was that they were not willing to transition and let go of the old age and move into the new age. And I want to submit to you that the vast majority of the church around the world right now is worshiping a golden calf in the shape, or not a golden calf, they're worshiping a golden fish. They're worshiping and they're giving a prophetic voice to trying to sustain the structures of what was. And that's a big part of the problem in the prophetic movement in the church. They look back at the book of Acts. They are bound to a structure that is 2,000 years old, whose age has now surpassed itself. Those structures are being shaken. Everything on heaven and earth is being shaken. And the old is passing away. And there is a new thing that is on the horizon. And we need voices that are speaking to a third thing, speaking to something that has not yet been. So we don't need voices that are parroting the old things that are keeping us divided. When it comes to racial issues, we don't need voices that are are perpetuating the same old things. We need new solutions. We need a third thing to arise. And I'm telling you right now, it's inevitable because the energies that are coming from the stars, because of the way that God ordained the, the, the planets, and because of the intricacies of the pattern, that what's happening within your consci- in the heavens is also happening within your consciousness and within the consciousness of every single human being on the planet. But the transition isn't going to be easy because the, 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 The son is but a child. The age is but a child. And so we're going to see that shadow side of the awakener. We're going to see people are going to be awakened and they're going to run off into rebellion. People are going to be awakened and they're going to disconnect from common sense and they're not going to listen to experts and they're not going to listen to other people. And and there's going to be a massive sort of separation. But eventually there's going to be this unification and coming together because this is the age of the uniting of the opposites. So what does that mean to you and me? Here's what I want to encourage you with. All of us, whether we want to accept it and admit it or not, have a shadow self. We Let's be honest. Most of us live in a persona. Most of us live in a cut-out cardboard self that we have created, <clears throat> that we have created to try to fit in and make sense of the world that is around us. Very few of us have done honest inward exploration. And I'm not talking about using hallucinogens. Hallucinogens may help you, but and you may think it's a shortcut, 
But I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't think that's the best path to go. But that is part of this sort of rebellious, sort of independent thing. But anyway, I don't know. Somebody needed to hear that. Um, But that's that's neither here nor there. That's not what I'm trying to get into. What I'm saying is doing honest self-evaluation and exploration and not being afraid to look at our dark side and realize that your dark side, your shadow side, is where much of your power lies. And not to move into these polarities where you're trying to be all good and denying the negative sides of yourself, but also where you're just going all into the darkness and trying to raise up the darkness and denying the light that is within you. A lot of people, what they what they don't see is the light that is within them. A lot of people, especially Christians, cannot affirm or be affirmed in, in, in the goodness and the greatness that is in them because if they start to affirm their light, then they begin to think they're getting the big head or they think they're getting egotistical. Listen, a lot of this stuff that's going on in the awakening community, I know this is not a popular message. I'm sorry it's not a popular message. But this trying to get rid of your ego is just another form of duality. You make the ego then into the evil thing or the bad thing that you have to get rid of, and it just exists in the shadow. What needs to happen is that we need to take our good, bright, positive characteristics, the light side. We need to take the darkness. Yeah, Jen says the darkness is not something to be feared. Absolutely not. But listen to me. Fear is in there. Because fear is part of what we don't want to look at. So when you start looking at it, you might feel fear, but it's not the darkness that you're afraid of. It's the fear that you've pushed into the darkness that's coming to the surface. So we have to let these things come to the surface and not be so moved. It takes time, guys. Not be moved by the impulses of either one necessarily, but allowing the two to marry, allowing the two energies to come together. And this is the purpose of the ego. The purpose of the ego, the self-reflective consciousness and self, is to be able to bring these energies, all these energies of the self, the light energies and the dark energies of who you are authentically, who God made you to be, not who you made yourself to be by cutting yourself out of what you thought the Bible said you were supposed to be, bringing these things together in a marriage sort of, in a union and allowing them to merge together and ascend or awaken or arise into a third thing and we're all in the process of doing that we're all in the process of doing that so what i could understand is i looked at this stuff from the scripture and and this stuff in the stars with the hermetic principle of as above and so below was that what, what was going on within me in the below in the beneath when i had that awakening and all the energies that i started to wrestle with and struggle with coming to terms with my blind spot coming to terms with my shadow and my shadow self then i began and i called it an awakening And then I began to realize that also that's corresponding with the energies that we see in the stars with Aquarius and Uranus and the procession of the equinox. And what I'm suggesting to you is that in Luke 21, it was the Passover that would be killed. It was the age of the Passover that would be killed. And it was a very volatile time, a very difficult time uh, when the temple is being destroyed and the old covenant is being destroyed and the old is passing away and the new is coming in. But I also want to suggest to you that Jesus in Luke 22 is saying that the Piscean age is only a guest in the house looking towards the age of Aquarius when God, real God, is doing something new. So it's it's a new time, it's a new season, but it helps us make sense of what we're seeing. It helps us make sense of some of the craziness that we're seeing, a lot of the divisiveness that we're seeing. Um, but uh, trust me, there there is a better day coming for all of us. 
And uh, when you begin to love yourself and you stop judging yourself, when you begin to really come to terms with that stuff that's inside you that you've disowned, um, that you've had judged by yourself and by others, and you bring those energies of yourself and you give them love, you, you love those dark sides of you, you love the part of you that's afraid, you love the part of you that's, that's jealous, you love the part of you that's greedy, you love the part of you that has lust, and you find the seed, the kernel of, of, of life in all those things. So here's the last thing I want to say, and I think it's probably the most important because I see this pattern over and over and over. What's coming forth in this new eon, this new age, is not the either or, it's the end both. So don't be out there trying to be all light and love. And by all means, don't be out there trying to be all darkness and anarchy and rebellion. Don't be either or. Don't try to be all God or all Satan. But allow, I'm using, I'm using that metaphorically. I'm using it metaphorically. But allow those energies to blend and come together and synthesize into a third thing. Don't look at um, situations as we either have capitalism or socialism. We either have capitalism or communism. Understand that there is a third thing. Uh, that it's not about just honoring the self at the expense of the community or honoring the community at the expense of the self. But rather, there's a time coming when we will honor both the self and the community in harmony and in balance. That's what we're working towards and that's where we're going. So what we need to do is be able to see past what's going on in front of us. We need to be able to see past the veil of our circumstances and we need to be able to see that there is a third thing. There is a new thing that we haven't seen yet that is emerging, that is going to be not thesis, antithesis. It's not going to be this or that. It's not going to be capitalism or socialism. It's going to be a synthesis of the two. It's not going to be um, one religion and all the other religions are, are, are wrong. It's going to be a synthesis of, of everything. Um, it's not, it's not going to be, um, well, I, I, th I think you get the picture. But let that happen within you first. Let it happen within you first. Own some of your stuff and don't be so afraid of it. Um, you know, uh, let yourself get angry and express that anger. You'll feel so much better. Um, just try to do it in a way that doesn't bring harm to yourself or that is destructive. In other words, when you're working with these energies, think about your present moment and what you need, but also think about your future self and what potential problems you might be handing off that might become future Aaron's problems. <laughs> but give yourself space for expansion. Give yourself space for experimentation. Give yourself space to grow and make mistakes because... The new age, the new aeon is but a child. We are, we are but a child in these things. So I hope that you were able to take something from this today. I hope it was helpful and beneficial. I hope it was able to make some sense for you of maybe what you're experiencing, what you're going through. Um, it is a tough time. It is a, a turbulent time, letting go of the old and um, bringing in the new. But uh, I think it's important that we encourage and help one another along this journey and along this pathway. And this is the last thing I would say. Instead of trying to be just light workers, I would suggest that you try to live in the twilight. 
Uh, I think it's very significant to me that Jacob is wrestling with the angel before he goes and meets Esau. Uh, we see this duality of conflict with the twins, Jacob and Esau, fighting with each other, running from each other, pursuing each other in conflict. They do reconcile in the Bible. They do reconcile. Prior to the reconciliation, Jacob goes to a river called Jabbok, and he wrestles with an angel until the breaking of the day. In other words, he wrestles with his darkness. He wrestles at nighttime. He wrestles with his darkness. And the darkness tries to get away from him. The darkness says, let me go. But when it gets to twilight, when it gets to the blending of the light and the darkness, Jacob says a very powerful thing. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. Wrestling with this darkness, the darkness trying to get away, trying to overpower until finally the darkness tries to get away. Yeah, he breaks his hip. (laughs) He couldn't walk as perfectly anymore. Couldn't present himself as strong anymore. Also, he's going to meet his adversary Esau the next day with a limp. Anyway, lots to that. But in this twilight, in this blending, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And I want to encourage you to wrestle with your darkness, quit trying to overpower it, and find out what blessings are there. I had going back to my vision, I had to look at the shadowy tree and find out what blessings are in the shadowy tree. That what what are the treasures of darkness that God wants to give me there? And when Jacob is synthesized in the twilight, he gets his new name, Israel. You've wrestled with God and with man, and you have overcome. A third thing has emerged in the twilight. And then he goes and sees his brother Esau, and he says, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. So what I want to encourage you to do is don't try to be just a light worker. Don't try to be all love and light. Otherwise, you're going to fall into the same pit and pattern. But allow yourself to be someone who can live in the twilight of your light and your darkness. And don't be afraid to walk with a limp. So, anyway, I hope that helps you. God bless you. Thank you so much for watching today. And uh, love all of you. And, uh, again, I appreciate you all so much. Thank you so much for watching and listening and supporting and and um, being on this journey together with me. And hopefully what we're doing is bringing value to you. Um, I did put a link button to our to the Awakening Center, um, which is our nonprofit. It used to be our church. It's a nonprofit organization. If, if this has been a blessing to you, if we're helping you in any way, um, and you'd consider making a donation to help us out, especially during this time uh, of transition that we're in, because we won't come out of this the same. I'm definitely not coming out of this anywhere near the same person that I was with the same desires and aspirations, same leading. Um, so it's a tough time. Uh, so if you can make a donation, we really appreciate that. Those of you that have made donations to us, um, really, really love and appreciate you. Uh, God bless you and have a wonderful afternoon.